0: Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Our mission, to make government contracts better, one contract at a time. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition Solutions. Skyway helps companies of all sizes know more, do more, and win more in the government market. If you need help with the government market, visit skywayacquisition.com. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart and can suck up lots of time and energy for both the government and industry. Let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today we're going to talk about organizational conflict of interest. The acronym for that is OCI.
1: We are. uh, OCI can be a mess. It's, It's important to understand why the government cares about it, but it's also important to understand the impact it can have on industry.
0: So when does OCI come into play? Before we get into defining it and into the details, we should say OCI starts at the very, very beginning of the acquisition cycle. This is when the government should be thinking about it. So you've developed a requirement or you know what your requirement is. When you're getting into the market research zone, when you're starting to figure out how you're going to buy what you're going to buy, you need to care about the the potential for conflicts of interest. This also comes in during the RFP zone when there's a lot of back and forth with industry still. Depending on how
1: much you have, how much OCI you have, it can be a real big player in the source selection zone.
0: Right, hopefully you have it all settled before then. So what are we talking about here? OCI means that because of other activities or relationships with other persons, a person is unable or potentially unable to give impartial assistance or advice to the government or to objectively perform the work that they're contracted to do or this is the fun one they have an unfair competitive advantage so again i I said person in there but when we're talking organizational conflict of interest this is within a company it's not a personal conflict of interest which is a different story altogether Organizational conflict of interest, the rules are are set up and need to be defined to prevent the existence of conflicting roles within a single company that might bias a contractor's judgment or to give them an unfair competitive advantage. And an unfair competitive advantage in government contracting means that this company has proprietary information or source selection information that isn't available to all the other competitors – And that information gives them an edge in in winning the contract. So that's the big picture of what OCI is. Which leads us to FAR time. This is covered in FAR 9.5. So there's one section of FAR Part 9 that specifically addresses OCI. FAR 9.502B, 9.502B, tells us that OCI is most likely to occur with management support services, consulting services, when a contractor is helping to do technical evaluations, or when a contractor is providing systems engineering or technical direction, and there's some nuances to that, but it's otherwise known as CETA, Systems Engineering Technical Assistance, uh, ANAS, Advisory and Assistance Services, But what it says is that OCI may result when factors create an actual or potential conflict of interest on an existing contract, the instant contract it says, or when what you're doing on this contract creates the potential for a conflict of interest on the next contract. So the example for that is if you have a contract that requires you to write a requirement or a specification and then the next contract is to actually deliver whatever it is that meets that requirement or spec – your company cannot compete to deliver it if you were the one that wrote the spec. Make sense? It does. It's sounds simple to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Sounds simple. Simple. <laughs> it's the contracting officer's responsibility to analyze acquisition situations in order to identify and evaluate potential OCI and the far as they should do that as early as possible. And it's the CEO's responsibility to Avoid, neutralize, or mitigate significant potential conflicts before contract award. So we should probably talk about those three words, right? Yeah, so, and I'll,
1: I'll jump in here. So we avoid, neutralize, and mitigate. Those are the three basic things. right? Well, avoid's the easy one. It essentially says you can either do this or do that. You're, you're not allowing the companies to even play in the two spaces. Neutralize can be government oversight, for example, you have five or six different companies that are helping with the process. So the perceived competitive advantage is going to be neutralized because all six companies have a vote. So if one company inserts their random patent, the other five are going to call them on it.
0: Yeah,
1: oversimplifying. And then mitigate, you do things like, well, we have a firewall where yes, the company manages our our servers, but there's a firewall between the servers over here and the servers that are on the source that were used for the source selection. So. That's the simplest way to think of these three, but avoid, neutralize, and mitigate are generally your three options, and we'll talk about you know, which one is better later. Yeah,
0: so which one, which one is the easiest and the least amount of work? Yeah, that would be avoid. Well, yeah, which one is the most? Oh, uh, mitigate. mitigate, yeah. Farr also says that the contracting officer should talk to legal counsel and technical experts to help them evaluate these potential conflicts because it can be super complicated.
1: Yeah, this is this is one of those one of those times you definitely want to get a lawyer involved. Um, And and honestly, as a company, as a potential bidder, you want your lawyers to be paying attention to this too, because all these clauses that every agency, not every, almost every agency has OCI clauses now to deal with this stuff. You got to make sure you understand the implications of them.
0: My favorite part of this this section of the FAR it says that CEOs should avoid creating unnecessary delays burdensome information requirements, and excessive documentation in identifying and resolving conflicts. The only time a CEO needs to formally document this OCI determination is when there's a substantive issue about OCI. This is, this is a part that I, I think, because it's complicated, a lot of agencies do Create unnecessary delays and burdensome information requirements and excessive documentation on both sides, and I don't think it needs to be that hard, but I understand why it is
1: and, and keep in mind, like you said, if you go to the mitigate if you're trying to mitigate this stuff it that's harder to do so that that creates the perception on by somebody of excessive documentation <laughs> It's very easy to slip into to having a lot of extra work yeah
0: all right let's talk about the usual situations where OCI problems exist. The main thing in in my life is CETA work, systems engineering, technical direction work. If you are a CETA contractor, you can't be awarded a contract to provide the system or major components of that system if 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 you're doing the systems engineering and and advising the government on that system. You can't be a sub either uh, on it. It's not just the prime, but you can't be a subcontractor provided. There's a reason for that, and that's because in this CETA role, you, you occupy this this influential position in determining the rules for, for what the system is and whether or not it meets the specifications for what how it interfaces with other systems. You have so much responsibility in there. It's a pseudo-government role. That you shouldn't be in a position to favor your own company's products or capabilities.
1: Another example would be when you are preparing and, and furnishing a, a complete specification for something. Basically, the idea being that you helped us develop how this is going to be played out from a technical perspective, so you can't provide the actual item because that's an obvious conflict, right?
0: Right. You could write the spec for just for something that you build that that where the spec only your product meets that spec,
1: right? Now, And this is a fun one, because in, in developmental work, it, it, it can in be interesting because you're selecting firms that have done most advanced work in this area, so they've got the most experience, so you end up with the situation where there's an advantage, there's a competitive advantage, but it's an unfair competitive advantage. So that, that can be a fuzzy one, and this is why avoiding oftentimes makes sense, because the definition of unfair, well, because you were first to market, you have a competitive advantage. I mean, that's business. This isn't a bad thing. But an unfair competitive advantage is that you help to write the spec.
0: Yeah, I, I spent a lot of times as CEO trying to explain this thing. You know, th- This contractor did the early development work and built the initial product. Now we're competing to produce the product. They have an advantage. It's not unfair. They won the initial competition to do the development and define it. They are the best suited to continue it. Other people can compete, but they have to understand that they're already behind the curve, and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the uh, take the risk, get the reward approach. But the perception sometimes is, is oh, this is unfair. You, you had a 10-year head start. Well, yeah, because you either won a contract or you invested your own money in it. So yeah. that, that's a fun discussion that
0: we're going to end right now. <laughs> so back to the CETA-ish kind of stuff. If you're, in, if you're preparing the statement of work, the performance work statement, whatever, you can't do the work that that statement of work, you can't get a contract to do the work that you just wrote needs to be done. It, it, and again, unless there's more than one contractor that helped you write the work statement and you've got, that's where you get into the neutralization and mitigation kind of stuff. But as a general rule, if you write the sow, you can't also compete for that sow. If you are on the source selection team evaluating who's going to win that work, you can't bid on it. You can't evaluate your own offer.
1: And another place where this plays in is having access to proprietary information. For example, when you're evaluating your own offer, you can't do that, right? right? But also, keep in mind that when you're helping to evaluate other offers, you're seeing their proprietary information. That's going to, again, either really conflict or potentially conflict or get the perception that gives you some kind of a competitive advantage. And the example I use here is, that at one point I had three contract specialists who worked for me who were contractors. So they worked for government contractors and they were helping me manage source selections and administer contracts. And they were seeing all this proprietary information. So we had to be very careful that we that we knew who they worked for. We, you know, no, it, it made sense because they worked for service contracts. And at the time I was buying products, so it wasn't as hard of a problem. But it, you scale that up and it can become messy in a hurry. And that's why that's a, a mitigation process in, in the making, is be very careful that you have to have some kind of way of being aware. And particularly in... Just like most large organizations, you're in a cube farm. The guy over the cubicle wall happens to work for a contractor. He doesn't want to have an OCI issue, but when you're talking about the source selection, right <laughs> through
0: the cardboard wall. So, it, yeah. It, That's it, why it's easier to do the avoidance thing. And yes. <laughs> people that support government and government offices shouldn't also be doing the development thing. It's my personal opinion. This is actually th- this is confusing stuff, and we're just scratching the surface of it. And I got to say, this is an area where the FAR actually helps uh far 9508 9.508 actually gives examples of what is considered a conflict and what is not and they're they're good examples that are really help to illustrate the the issue so if you if you want want to read those exa- we're not going to read them here but if you want to read those far 9508 so that leads us to why this is so important right yes and the 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 big
1: takeaway we'll throw it out there is this can create serious limitations on what a single company can or can't do. And what I mean by that is that if you know what your OCI issue is, then you know whether or not to go after a contract. If you don't know and you're stumbling down the road thinking, hey, we can go after this opportunity, and then a month into the capture process, you figure this out, or to, to call out the government side, if you then tell them, by the way, you can't bid on this if, you've ever, if you have any work over here, it creates serious limitations that they need to be talked about early.
0: And as a result of that, there was massive restructuring in the defense industry in the last five or six years. Major, major companies either split themselves into two companies so that one company was building and one company was doing the advisory kind of stuff. Companies sold off their, their CETA arms. Other companies combined. Lots of capital <laughs> moved around as a result of the government taking OCI seriously. So there are very good reasons why the government clamped down on OCI. i got to say, this goes back to the, the bad actor rule, right? Somebody did something wrong. At some point, somebody was on that advisory side of, of the fence. They, and, they
1: evaluated their own stuff. And they
0: did something to favor their own company, and that made people mad. And now they create all the, the rules. And so they started taking OCI seriously And next thing you know, companies have to sell and change and move and lots of turmoil. There are also, I think, not so good reasons why this is important. There are situations, I feel, when the government really hasn't thought through the implications of OCI and just issues some boilerplate OCI strategy for an acquisition that creates real problems for the companies that actually want to compete on that acquisition. And this is where industry can come in, right? Yeah, and, and this
1: is an interesting one because if you say, and again, I've I've done this and and had a very very interesting conversation with, with the an industry counterpart when you say things like, "Well, submit us your your OCI plan." Well, okay, how, how do I know that it's good? Um, how how what part would you like me to OCI out? Uh, what what exactly? So that's so wide open, and I've seen that. I mean, and, and it says it's going to sh- like for example, the bullets will say things like. How are you going to mitigate the the risk of of you know, proprietary information? How are you? It's going to talk about how you're going to do all these things, but the reality is, what if you said, you know what, you can't bid on this if you have any OCI issues? And yes, you're going you know, every decision divides. I get that there are going to be people, and you're going to get emails from people that say, hey, this is horrible. I want to bid on this, but the amount of effort it takes to write OCI plans, which by the way usually are written by attorneys, which means they're you know equals expensive and long so you're ending up creating this work and so you have to be very careful that when you, you don't understand the real implications of this to industry they end up spinning their wheels you end up evaluating OCI plans that may or may not even need to have it just it's a it's a downward spiral so you
0: can get a lot of pressure from industry if you create a rule that draws a line and says you're either in or out you can get a lot of pressure from industry to change that rule but the fact is if you have enough companies to create real competition that aren't causing any OCI problems, you can make that rule that you're either in or out and have a perfectly fine competition between those that are already on one side of the fence or the other.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's the avoidance thing on steroids. Let's get
0: specific about why the government should care. If you don't address this early, if you're on the government side and you don't address this early in the process, you could derail your entire future acquisition because people will come in later in the process and say that there's bias involved. And once, you have, once you've once you spent a lot of time creating a strategy, to start over again can be devastating.
1: And the, and the frustrating part here is this whole idea of the contractors, the potential offers, have been riding this wave with you for a while and they've invested time and effort and, and, and they want to actually be able to compete on this. Then when you say, oh, well, you're OCI'd out. Since they've invested time and effort and emotion in it, they're more likely to, I'm not gonna, I hate to use the word battle, but, but that's kind of how it feels. They're like, wait a minute, I've already invested all this time in this thing, you can't just kick me out. What about, what about, what about? And they're asking these questions. As opposed to if you said in the very beginning, this is how we plan to do it, we have enough competition, it's going to be totally OCI'd out. But they realize <laughs> this is not something I can do because I'm OCI'd out, and they get out of it faster. Yep. And this is something I did not see until I was having a debate with one of our uh, potential offerers, and I could tell he was so frustrated that we didn't make this decision until a couple of months into the process. He had invested a lot of his time and brainpower, and I think maybe even a trip or two. You know that that stuff is they get they get defensive about the fact that I've invested this time, and I want some way to get
0: it back. And another reason why government should care is some agencies now have have and an OCI volume as a standard part of, of proposals in their source selections. A whole volume written to address OCI issues. So that's more for them to evaluate and more for contractors to propose. If you worked on the situation early enough, you shouldn't have to have a whole volume in the proposal to explain the OCI situation and the mitigation and all those things, right? It's, it, you, better, you better really need... Contractors that are potentially conflicted in the competition to go through that kind of trouble
1: and another thing to consider here is that fit what is it roughly I'm picking this number because I've heard it recently fifty two percent of contracts are for services fifty two percent of the dollars the government spends is for services Most of the OCI stuff not all but most of the stuff comes from some form of services so OCI situations are going to show up and that's why it's important to understand it and think about what am I doing now that's going to create an OCI down the road?
0: right? And That's a good point to understand that the, the conflict of interest is actually – it's on the service side. A, as As the person developing something, you don't have a conflict of interest if you're developing it. It's the people on the other side that have created – the uh, on the services side that have created the unfair advantage for the development side. So the, if you're a services contractor, this is where you're going to run into this all the time. Last point on why sh- government should care about this. I just have to say is m- my opinion is industry doesn't necessarily care what the end result of, of the government's OCI's rules for this acquisition are. They just want clear direction, and I know I'll get I'll get heat for that, that of course industry cares. They want to be able to bid on everything, so they want to be able to shape this thing so that they can play, but in the end – the government – don't don't waffle on what the rules are. Just tell industry plainly what you will and won't accept. And th- at that point, industry can eliminate, self-eliminate and not spend any more time or money chasing an acquisition that they're not going to be able to compete on. They might be angry because they really wanted to compete on it, but at least they won't spend six months investing in this and then find out that be really they don't angry. have a chance. Yeah. Let's move on to why industry should care about OCI. Large businesses are are generally more impacted here because they have their hands in, in many types of, of work. So they can't sometimes cleanly choose to be on one side or the other because they're so big.
1: Yeah, and sometimes companies will spin off portions. We mentioned that earlier. Yeah. It, it, that's why and this, this is because our hands are in so many things.
0: Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars change hands because they, they need to try to keep themselves clean. So on the industry side, you have to understand that OCI is real and it can prevent you from winning new work. This can completely change your bidding strategy and, and your proposal, your acquisition pipeline, your, your future things you're going to bid on. you got to track this stuff because you may be chasing something that you, you're not going to be allowed to bid on in the end.
1: And this can make a seemingly simple proposal really kind of a nightmare. (laughs) Because instead of saying, yes, we can do this, here's how we would do it, here's what we would do, etc., you're having to add this like wrapper around it that says, oh, but on Tuesdays when I stand on one foot, this is going to happen.
0: And to that point, Kevin, when the government has these giant acquisitions where they bundle tons of requirements together, lots of them are uh, like... uh, agency-wide or command-wide kind of things, this is where lots of times it runs around in circles and circles where they're trying to make decisions about who can and who can't play, what the rules are, and it can drag on what should be a straightforward acquisition. It can make it drag on for months and months and months and, and have lots of hurt feelings in the process.
1: And So here's the good news. If you're a small business that only does CETA or only does development work, point is you've chosen your side, OCI restrictions are actually your friend. Now, if you're a, multi, if you're a giant company that needs to be you know, touching so many things just from sheer scale, that doesn't apply. But as a small business, there's billions of dollars of work to be done without having any OCI yeah. issues. So this is small business friendly.
0: Yeah, if, you, if you're a CETA company or if you're just like a, a software development company, for instance, you should be actively lobbying your customers to insert OCI avoidance into all of their RFPs to say only OCI free companies can bid on this because you know that that cuts down the competition from the big guys that have OCI problems. And as long as there's more than one of you that is only on one side of the line, the government can have a perfectly fair competition on an OCI free basis.
1: In fact, one of those things of uh, we remain OCI free. That's, that's a good thing to be able to say. So you're right. Lobby that. You know, put, <laughs> advertise that. Make that point in your powers. <laughs> so, in conclusion
0: In conclusion, OCI has to be tackled as early as pro- possible in the acquisition process. The FAR says it, and it just makes sense. Tackle these things early or they will haunt you later. It can be really, really complicated if the government doesn't draw clear lines about their intentions on OCI. Do not underestimate the headaches that OCI can cause for both sides.
1: Yeah, This is kind of the compounding interest idea of this problem doesn't get smaller over time. It, it collects interest <laughs> throughout the life of your acquisition and make sure you're getting industry input. That's one of the, one of the areas that makes a whole lot of sense is ask industry who can do this OCI free. And if you get 10 companies, there's your answer. Move out. Um,
0: yeah, I like that I like that answer. Get them, get them involved. Industry will help you decide. And by the way, government, you don't have to make it so that every company in the world can compete. That's what I feel like happens a lot of times with larger acquisitions where they're bundling requirements, where the the – by nature, large companies want to bid on it because there's lots of different types of work in there. It would be a lot easier – to find that you have adequate competition between non-conflicted people and only use them in the acquisition. And that's what actually has happened in the past some that caused some of the industry reorganization that we talked about.
1: Yeah, and and realize that every, like I said before, every decision divides. (laughs) Every time you say, I'm going to do it this way, you're going to make somebody happy and somebody unhappy. But just the sooner you make them unhappy and the less time and effort they spend on it, the better it's
0: going to be. And the last thing to foot stomp again, small businesses can benefit from this because they have an easier time being on one side of the fence or the other. Small businesses should like acquisitions that have drawn the line at, say, OCI free only, and they should encourage the government to go that, that way. Agreed. All right, thanks for joining us today. If you like the CEO podcast, please tell a friend. If you're at your computer, do us a favor. Send somebody an email. You could even copy and paste the link to this episode if you're listening to it on your computer. Let somebody know. Maybe that person will let someone else know, and everyone can learn. Remember that our topics are listener-driven. I get emails all the time from people suggesting topics as a matter of fact this topic was suggested via email send me a Is note it- paul at ContractingOfficerPodcast dot com, and we'll see what we can do to get it on the next podcast
1: and if you need more help with the government market remember go to skywayacquisition.com we are here to help you with you name it in the government space so thanks for coming or thanks
0: for listening <laughs> coming that's nice <laughs> right. and have a good day talk see to you, you later kevin see ya Okay, that's it for this episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, let me hear about it. Send me an email at paul at ContractingOfficerPodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.